Hello, hello. Welcome back to Leading Women in Tech. We are back for another episode of the podcast. And in case you haven't heard, we are now on YouTube. So if you would like to watch today's podcast rather than just listening, then head over to our channel on YouTube. You can find this on my website where you're listening to this podcast. We're going to put it in all the show notes for several weeks. So you've got complete access to it. Go over there, have a look, give us some comments, give us some love. Uh, we would love to know if you're enjoying watching the podcast on YouTube. But without further ado, I'd like to get straight in to introducing today's guest and also sponsor of the podcast. As many of you know, without sponsorship, this podcast is not possible. And I'm honored to have a completely ex- astonishing human on the podcast who is also happy to sponsor it. Dr. Gar Samandari has over 20 years of practice in international women's health. She's founder of Nine Paths, which is a career leadership program. She has spent a career shining a light on the needs of marginalized populations, something that speaks dearly to my heart. Has worked in nearly two dozen countries, working with governments, donors, NGOs, multilateral organizations to examine the ways in which organizational systems affect women's ability to thrive. So she might seem like a bit of an odd person to have on today's show, but we do talk about women, right? All the time and women thriving. So yes, she's worked with midwives in Afghanistan to tribal elders in Niger, but Gaz has fostered conversation and learning among these diverse groups and has now bringing that experience to her integral development coach in one-on-one and group settings. She talks about this adult development principles, leadership management skills, and organizational behavioral theory. Gaz creates elegant coaching programs designed to amplify women's voices and in spaces such as big tech. What more could we want? When I first met this extraordinary woman that we're having on today's show, I was lit up by her. I felt like we could have chatted all day, all week. I feel like this is the kind of woman you want living around next door from you so you can have a cup of tea whenever you're having a bad day and you're going to have a glass of champagne when you want a good laugh. (laughs) And so without further ado, I would love to get this amazing lady onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome, Gaz. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure and joy to be here. Thank you. Well, I know I've just started off with a bit of a bio about you, but I would love for you to tell us in your words what you do, how you got here. That journey is quite an unusual one. (laughs) And why you now believe in the work you are doing right now. You've had such an extraordinary background. It's quite a jump to go from that humanitarian work to now working as a coach. But yet I know from our previous conversations that this work lights you up just as much as the previous work does. Can you tell us a little bit more about that whole journey? Yeah, so I'd love to. And I think it's a great moment um, where we are historically and politically right now to name that it began when I was born in Iran in 1980 in the midst of the revolution of back then that was extremely oppressive towards women and was the reason why 
me and my family had to escape as refugees to the U.S. And so I think that legacy of having taken from me what what was my birthright, which was to live freely and healthfully in my home country, really drove me to examine how I could contribute to lessening that same type of suffering throughout the world. So um, I got my PhD, I worked in the public health field, and my particular area of interest has always been increasing access for women and girls to very basic health care, and in particular reproductive health care, because that's an area that no one really pays attention to or gives yeah. um, a lot of resources towards. So I was drawn to like the most marginalized, if you will, of the marginalized people in the world. And so I studied, I did research. I, like you said, traveled all over the world, working with various communities, just trying to elevate women and girls uh, into a space of like basic visibility. You know, can we just acknowledge that these are human beings and not birthing vessels or not um, labor vessels or the ways in which so many of us women, no matter where we're from, are sort of truncated into one dimension of the multitudes that we hold. Yeah. And I did that for 20 plus years, loved it, loved it, loved it till I didn't. And it took a health crisis of my own to recognize that I had far surpassed the point of burnout trying to just give and give and give in this field. And at that point, um, I had to take a break because of my illness and reconsider what it meant to be living a life of service that was sustainable for me and the causes that I cared about. And it was at that time that a dear friend of mine said, you know, just like you said, I love that you said a cup of tea and a glass of champagne. I am that bitch. Like I'm the one you're going to call when you have an issue. Like I'm the one that you want, you know, as your ride or die in a knife fight in the street, that's me. Uh, and I've always been that person for my friends. It, it's the thing that really brings me joy and meaning. And she said, guys, you know that you just do this naturally. Have you ever thought of converting this into your career, like coaching or holding women in this way? And I had, I mean, it had just never occurred to me. So I began investigating. And like you said, thought, wow, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to move and evolve as a human myself and bring all the skills and knowledge and expertise I have to the levers of power higher up. So now I love working with women in tech and other spaces who themselves have a lot to offer, but might be cut off in various ways because of the systems in which they operate to release them, liberate them from any limitations that they face and watch kind of that goodness radiate out from them into deeper and deeper impact across the world. So how's that for a summary? <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it is quite a journey. I mean, I can only imagine the burnout that you experienced actually working in the humanitarian world. I mean, it's something I think many of us think about doing at some point, and then we look at the realities of that work and it's, it's hard. It's hard work and unforgiving. So I can only imagine like the burnout that got you to where you are today, but I know the world is very grateful to have you where you are today and that experience that you brought along. But I, I love the fact that it's all about helping women thrive because it really speaks to my mission. My, I talk about helping women become better leaders. But ultimately, listeners on the show know this, my real goal here is to change technology. I fundamentally believe the technology sector, the world needs to benefit from a technology sector that has better representation of women. At the moment, too many men are making decisions. And it just listening to you talk about the work you did prior to this technology is part of the solution that we need for such crisis hit areas. 
And yet women aren't involved in making decisions. One of the things that really showed me how powerful it is to get women involved is when I read some research many, many years ago when I first became interested in the underrepresentation of women in, in the workplace. I read some research that showed that when humanitarian efforts started working with women rather than men, they were more successful. <laughs> because women were the ones feeding the children. They were the ones getting the water, which was contaminated. If you didn't educate the women on where to get unknown contaminated water, nothing changed. And that took women pointing out that working with men, even though culturally that was what expected in many of these places, wasn't fixing the solution. You just extrapolate that to the world of tech and well, hmm, how much are we missing <laughs> as a species because women aren't represented? Okay, I kind of went on my soapbox there, but I would love to know your thoughts on that. And if you believe we can also make a change in that way. Yeah, so I love, um, I love you sort of, grounding the conversation in your own sense of deeper purpose. And that feels so aligned with, with the moment that I'm in is, yes, I have certain interests. Yes, I have certain skills. But what, what does it look like to bring all of me yeah. to the moment? What does it look like to to hold all of my complexity and point it towards a greater good? And And it is true. You can look up the scientific evidence. You can read my published papers about the ways in which when we give women the reins, better things happen, not just for them, but for everybody. It's like, I always say that women are a rising tide that lifts all boats. Like we, oh, wow. yeah. yeah, and it's true. And extrapolating that to the tech sector, the technology sector is literally building both our real and virtual worlds. There is no escaping technology anymore, particularly at the pace at which it's accelerated the last 10 years. And it has a ripple effect all the way back down to the bottom, right? So these communities where I started are being impacted by the choices that tech is making now, large and small, from climate to apps, right? So what would it look like to take the learnings from the bottom where I have learned, like the most resource poor areas where if you can get consensus around enabling women and girls to have a greater voice in a sort of very remote, um, traditional, misogynistic tribal area, then why can't you do it in these boardrooms or in these conference centers where we espouse equality as a value already? So having done that work with really brave and outstanding women who have access to nothing, my curiosity and my hope is that bringing that same sensibility to to those of us who have massive privilege will help kind of tip those scales mm -hmm. faster and further. A hundred percent. Oh, I love this. You speak my language. That's why I wanted you on the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, when we were speaking before we hit record, you mentioned community as a core aspect of how we move women forward, but also that that's necessary in business. I think a lot of the time people don't think of community as something necessary in the workplace. They think of, you know, I know that one of my things that changed my career was finding my community of women, women in supercomputing at the time. At that point, I'd been really, really lonely. I was one of just a few women I knew in my field. Finding that community changed my life. But I think from your conversation, you believe community is even bigger than that. It isn't just finding your people, it's the workplace itself. Can you explain this? And how does it differ from team building, which is often what we might think of in the workplace? What a wonderful question. So I think that the difference is the essential reference point. So team building is centered around increasing efficiency to maximize the bottom line. 
community is about recognizing that we are a constellation of human beings that spend a lot of time in each other's company, Mm -hmm. pushing towards a similar mission. How does that, just that shift in framework, just from changing the word from team building to community, then shift the way that we see one another as individuals in this space and the way that we care for each other as we move through the day? And it has an impact. It has, it makes a difference to see your fellow coworkers as also complex beings who do, of course, dress up and come into the office or come on a Zoom call and put on the performance that they have to in order to survive in that space, but also have myriad things that are real and alive for them outside of that little square. And if we can make room for that and space for that, that equally will make space for that in ourselves and just enable a more spacious and more loving and kind way of being in work together. Yeah, I think you really hit the point that I kind of resonate with there, which is it's a community of people that operate together. We're all like different personalities, different emotions. When we think about teams, we're all like trying to figure out how to just work together. But it's that camaraderie. It's it's not it's not expecting everybody to be your friend. I think that's one of the mistakes people make. They think they have to be friends with people at work or they just suck it up and deal with it. And community, you can have people in your community that you do and don't like. But the mission, you mentioned moving towards a similar mission, that is that is a really core part of what I think a community coalesces around. It's like, why are you here? Which actually brings me beautiful to leadership, which obviously I love to talk about. Because one of our jobs as leaders is to make sure everybody understands the mission and has their own personal reason for being there that aligns with the corporate mission. Would you agree with that? Does that help with the community aspect of things? It absolutely does. And I love how you name that the leader is the one who's responsible for holding that banner up for all of us. Because it's true that if you're, you know, X or Y worker on the team and your job is to move this widget from point A to point B, you can get lost in that sometimes. Absolutely. You can kind of, kind of uh, move away from your own dignity and the dignity of others around you. But it is an effective leader's job to hold that sort of intangible connection alive between us and keep bringing us back to the center of our humanness and the reason that we're all here. Yes, part of it is a paycheck, but you have options of where else to go. And there's a particular reason why you're here and not elsewhere. And what does that look like in terms of creating a supportive environment where we can all thrive together? What are some of the benefits of this community? Like, what do you see as a difference? When you see an organization where you have really good community, what happens that is beneficial? Yeah. So I use this word dignity. I feel like first and foremost, there's a sensibility or there's a sense that when you enter a space where community is centered, that you are accepted for the complex human that you are. And necessarily that people in that space have your back as that human. I think oftentimes when we work in spaces where that essence is lost, uh, human beings can become commodified and a lot of our interactions become transactional. And that is where we begin to lose sight of um, how we care for one another in the workplace. And that's where I think a lot of conflict and griping and kind of minimizing of, of people and their complexity comes from. And that doesn't serve anything. For a short period, it might get something further in terms of a project, but that's where burnout comes from. That's where uh, quiet quitting comes from. That's where a lot of the issues that we're facing in the workforce today come from. It's acting like humans are robots and we're not. Yeah, absolutely. How can we as leaders foster more communities? 
for our employees? What should we be doing as leaders? And what should we be encouraging our peers, our bosses, if we're not the CEO? What should we all be doing more of to foster these communities? Yeah, so that's a wonderful question. I think first and foremost, I'll start from the the inner and move to the outer. So first and foremost, an effective leader is someone whose power rests on practices. You have individual practices that you lean on to be well every day, and that is a built-in part of your work. I must show up as someone who can breathe, who can take a pause, who can think, who can listen, who can act with uh with consideration. This is my job as much as it is, as it is my job to move the needle on whatever product or, or service I'm providing. It is my job to show up as much as I can as a whole and grounded human. After that, I think it's really important that anyone in a leadership position understand that your team may be made up of a myriad set of people who hold skills. But ultimately, everything that happens, everything that's effective in a workplace that happens is relational. It happens in the relational space. So how do we begin to create linkages and opportunities to foster the relational space more and more and naturally allow people's talent, interest and brilliance to rise to the top rather than the other way around, which is, like I said, to sort of truncate and commodify and extract from people as though they're their minds or some kind of like data source, the little bits that you need and discard the rest. Oh, it's beautiful. I think the more we can listen, the more we can pay attention to what's really going on and actually acknowledge lifting up that both the good things and the bad things, give them space to be explored rather than just hiding away from it is a huge part of the work that we need to be doing. Absolutely. Some of the most powerful leaders that I've worked with. And, you know, when we think leader, I, I know my mind jumps immediately to like someone in an office in a tall building with glass and they're wearing uncomfortable clothing. But <laughs> leaders take all shapes and sizes. Absolutely. And one of the most powerful tools uh, that a leader can wield is naming, mm. naming the thing that is present but no one has the courage to name. And that what you just said really resonates for me on that level to say there are good and bad things here. And can we presence those things? Can we actually bring them to the fore and hold them together instead of trying each of us to swallow and suppress bits of it and just carry on, you know? So I think naming is a really powerful tool. That is something that I think sets apart leaders, even if you don't have the job title. If you're listening to this and thinking, that sounds great, but I'm not a boss, I'm not a manager. Being a leader is not about the job title. It is about doing things such as that naming the thing that everybody else is uncomfortable to name, giving it space, airing it, allowing it out so it can be examined and changed if that's necessary. You can start right now being a leader by doing exactly that. Just want to say that to everybody listening. If you're an aspiring leader and you're wondering how to get started, that's one of the ways to get started. For sure. Believe me, doing things like that will actually at one point get you that leadership position and not just the position of being an um, an influential leader, but actually the job title as well. Gaz, you talk about the human experience as the center of leaving outcomes when, I've, when we've chatted before and when I've listened to your other work. What do you mean by this? What do you mean by that human experience is the, the solution here? Yeah. So I think uh, we've touched on it a little bit so far in this conversation, but it's recognizing that within each moment, within each interaction, especially in the workspace, that we are all sort of carrying and responding to the stimulus that's there. We have, um, we're complex beings with emotions and thoughts and baggage and trauma and all of that is here. Whether or not you want to recognize it or acknowledge mm. it or accept it, it is here in the space between us. 
And the more, I'm not suggesting that, you know, you start a therapy session for every time you, you know, have a meeting or do like yoga stretches before any kind of interaction, but just, um, attune yourself as a leader, attune yourself to the ways in which someone might be speaking of a suffering or a deficiency or an insecurity or a need when they're saying something that might seem, you know, offensive or unhelpful. Mm. Da, da, da. There's something underlying that. Like we are all just children who grew up into these big bodies and now do things and we call ourselves adults. But a lot of us are still reacting from that place of fear and vulnerability very often. So a powerful leader is also one that can attune to picking up on those moments where there might just be suffering in the room and can gently kind of surface that and, and allow it to resolve in a way that isn't off-putting or even uh, without putting someone on the spot, right? Without putting someone on the spot to say, hey, what's, you seem like you're, da-da-da. what's going on here? But really just recognizing like, I'm sensing that there's something off here. Like, do you mm-hmm. sense that too? What's going on? Let's figure it out together. So I think there's, there's deep humanity in allowing that to enter the space where it already is. And a lot of where exhaustion and burnout and conflict and stuff comes from is from us efforting and wasting mm-hmm. a lot of energy, resisting the fact that that's there <laughs> and trying to pretend, right? A hundred percent. It's actually fascinating listening to you. I am immediately realizing that everything you're saying is is kind of backing up why I believe that the best leaders also now become coaches. And of course, I'd say that I'm a coach, you're a coach. <laughs> I now train coaches, I train leaders to be coaches. And I, it, it really is such a core skill because what coaching allows us to do is to hold space. As, we, as you said, it's not therapy. There is a place for therapy and I have in my career had to say to people like, hey, I think you need to go and speak to somebody outside work about this. Maybe start with a therapist because there's something so foundational going on. But it started with me having conversations with them. From a coaching perspective, I was their manager, but I was coaching them through a challenging situation that they weren't handling well. And discovering that is, I think, a a core piece of our leadership responsibilities. Would you agree that being a great leader goes hand in hand with coaching? Absolutely. And I almost, now that you've named it that's, that way, I almost can't even make the distinction anymore. Yeah. Because all a coach does, like you said, is recognize what's right there in front of them and create space for that to sort of emerge mm-hmm. in its own time with its own, um, with whatever it needs in that moment. And that's what a leader does too. And I think part of, uh, like I said, back to what are the foundational things you can do as a leader is to have practices that keep you grounded, you know, as a coach. And I do too, that that is, that's how we live too. Like we have to be able to be okay in order to show up. Okay. For our clients. And it's mm-hmm. the same for leaders. I also want to quickly just name that there's a lot of ways in which when we talk about leaders and teams and individuals in the workplace, burden is often placed on one or another individual, but we are all living within a system as well. Every organization is its own system that has values and policies and, and structures that are upheld or things that are absent. So I don't want to also burden any one leader to say it's up to you entirely, but also let's look at the system, the context in which we are and how resources, how policies are being allocated to support this type of leadership. It matters. It really does matter. Mm. I want to actually just spend a moment digging into a particular leadership skill that I don't think is talked about enough, but I think resonates really well with your whole mission of 
lifting people up, thriving, helping people thrive, um, which is how to better amplify underheard voices at work. So this is something that we can listen to, listeners can listen to from the perspective of what can I be doing for myself, but also what can we be doing as leaders to amplify underheard voices, of which there are often many in the workplace. And often those people are going to end up as underperformers until they find a workplace that really allows them to thrive. And I would love it if listeners could make more of that in their current workplace with people. So Gaz, what would be a great way to help people amplify those underheard voices? Yeah. So I use this analogy often, and I think it's suitable here. Like you can be a leader. I think let's just boil it down to one of two ways. You can either be the tip of the spearhead, right? So like you're here and you're pushing through something, Mm -hmm. or you can be the bowl that holds, you can be the container. And when we think of this way, just even looking at my hands, how much room there is there. And all you do is invite people in to sit and let them simmer with whatever is necessary. I think a lot of the DEI world that has, especially that portion of it that has exploded since George Floyd's death, um, uses the same kind of like tactical and procedural way of amplifying voices. Like, And often that puts the burden on marginalized people yeah. to do the extra work, to step up and did 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 it. Yeah. But in the workplace, effectively, what amplifying marginalized voices boils down to is invitation into a safe conversation and then let them say what they have to say. And that sounds simple, but it's the hardest thing to do because it causes us to confront our own limitations and our own biases in doing that. But that for me feels like in its most pure form, the way that you can open space for someone to, with dignity and safety, say what they need to say. The safety piece there, I think, is really, really key. I know for you, it goes hand in hand with dignity. And I, I think many people have probably not heard dignity in this context before today's episode. And what really resonates with me there is is you added the word safety, because I, I truly believe that a large part of the work we've got to do is help people feel more safe at work. You know, people talk about psychological safety, but I don't think most people actually understand what that means. We're told we have to worry about it and do something about it. But how do you actually foster that? at work, such that when you say, hey, I'm open to hearing what you have to say here, they genuinely feel like they can without concern. Any top tips on that one? Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to the work that I do directly with leaders within organizations, I also run a women's transformation collective called Coven. And I think we have a really great system for how to sort of as much as we possibly can, equalize and neutralize spaces for safety. And one of the first things we do when anyone enters any of our community spaces is we acquaint them with the way that we treat each other here. So we have specific language and requests that we make of each other that while we're together in this space, these are the things we do and don't do. This is how we speak to one another and how we don't. And then you think about a workplace HR has reams and reams and reams of policies, right? Like SOPs and all of these things that tell you how to perform this way or that way. But it's extremely rare to know of any kind of policy or set of values that says how we are meant to treat each other as human beings. So I think actually naming and visibilizing those values within a team, be it large or small organization or what, to say, this is how we agree to be with each other. That, first of all, sets the tone especially for people who are um, often marginalized and at risk of being unsafe to say, hey, we are making this an explicit thing. But also to start 
through as kind and compassionate a way as you can policing that or regulating that so that when you do see someone in a position of power or privilege abusing that, have a system for rectifying that immediately and making that known so that we can continue to gather as a community around this shared set of values for safety. Oh, that's beautiful. That is really, really beautiful. Oh, we could talk about this all day, but I do want to get to the quick fire round, uh, partly because my favorite question that I ask every guest is the first question of the quick fire round. So you're ready. Quick fire round. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay. All right. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? <gasps> Lose weight. Oh my I God. Was, yes. Oh. So I was, I was early in my career and I was, you know, talking to a mentor, unfortunately, someone uh, who was also femme identifying who came from a different generation. And I remember her telling me that I would be taken more seriously and go further if I was thinner and dressed better and did my hair and, you know, um, adorned myself differently. And to hear that from someone that I admired at that age was uh, deeply damaging and yeah. upholding of the same kind of sort of patriarchal principles that I think hold so many of us down. So that was that was a piece of rubbish right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's one of the reasons I asked this question. It's actually my favorite question because I think we are told so many things in our lives, which you look back on, you're like, oh my God, that I took that seriously and I really shouldn't have done. And the more we can shine a light on that, the more we can avoid other people falling into that trap. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Okay, this is going to sound pretty rote, but it is the hardest thing, which is be yourself. Let yourself shine. And that is something, especially as women, we have so many noises, stories, narratives mm. coming at us from every direction, from the minute we wake to the minute we sleep, telling us what we can and can't do, who we can and can't be. Um, it can be very destabilizing and disorienting. So to really create space and practice around understanding what's at the core of who you are, centering that over and over and respecting that over and over and developing the capacity to let that shine through. Nothing could ever be wrong if you're coming from that place. That's beautiful. We all struggle with what it really means to be authentic. And I think it takes years to get there. But the sooner we do that, the better. Yeah. What is the last book you read and would you recommend it? Yes. So I am currently finishing Rest is Resistance by Tracy Hersey. And if you don't know about her, please go find out about her. You can either buy her book, Rest is Resistance, or you can follow her on Instagram um, under the handle The Nap Ministry. And Tracy Hersey is a Black American woman whose entire theory is that to pause, to rest, to care for yourself and your needs is an act of radical resistance. And it has truly blown my mind as to what it means to take a nap. So <laughs> I wow. feel like- I need to read we, that book. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's really, really good. Yes. I love this. I get so many great book recommendations on this show. I will make sure that I put a link to that book in the show notes if you're listening and you want to find out more. Uh, mindset. At the end of every episode, I love to offer a mindset tip on the topic of today's podcast. So I'd love for you to share, guys. like what is your favorite mindset tip for women in a male-dominated environment? Mm. That's a really beautiful question. I think the, the biggest mindset tip for me is to trust and have faith in yourself and your voice. It knows and it is talking to you all the time. Quiet the noise, the outside, listen in and let, let that be what guides. That is 
that is beautiful. That is really, truly beautiful. Thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. So I would love for you to wrap this up with telling us how people can connect with you, find out more about what you do, work with you in some way. Can you just share how we can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I currently live sort of in two different places out in the, and out in the ether. The first place is Nine Paths Development that you mentioned, and that's my corporate facing, um, leadership and team facilitation work that I do. But my passion project and more and more of where I'm putting my energy is in Coven Collective, C-O-V-N Collective, and it's a transformative community for women of all kinds to step in and be held and see what it means to really be witnessed for everything that you are and uh, be enabled to let all that you have come through. So please come on by anytime. Love to meet you. Thank you so much. And all of those links are in the show notes if you want to go check them out. I really highly recommend having just a coffee chat with this lady. She will light you up. She will give you that fizz and sparkle to set yourself up for success. Gaz, any final thoughts you would like to leave the listeners with today? I just want to thank you, Tony, for everything that you do and the inspiration and the model that you are in this world. Someone who saw a problem where she was and said, we can do this differently and had the courage to like step out of the box and find other channels for making yourself and your voice heard. So I just want to encourage um, all of your listeners to think about ways that they can bring that light in themselves to the world more and more. And if you need help doing it, I am here. So give me a call. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your kind words. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your words of wisdom and sponsoring today's episode, which means we're able to share these leadership words of wisdom on the Leading Women in Tech podcast. Until next time, remember listeners, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.